Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm your host, Dave, and I'm joined by Cameron for tonight's, today's, <laughs> this episode. Cameron, how's it going? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, the weather has been, in a word, temperamental. It's arced between being about 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the sort of 30 Celsius and then dropping down to about half of that and absolutely pelting down with rain and it's been switching back and forth every two days for the last week uh so it's been interesting figuring out what to wear for work each day <laughs> yeah i can i can um empathize with that we're not in quite that range but mm. it's dipped into what passes for all early winter here yeah um not it's it's pretty chilly. We're hitting, um, you know what? I guess it's been just just above freezing. So wow. okay, thirty eight yeah. at night. Uh, yeah, and then in right. the daytime it's like twenty degrees higher. So I mean, I guess it is cold. Yeah, uh, that does sound pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, now that I think about it, it just it's it's been the winters here aren't the the coldest aside from a few years ago. Mm. So yeah, it's not too bad. But for the late summer here that it's been it's yeah uh, it was an abrupt shock uh, however we've been getting slammed with the rain too so yeah uh, yeah i get that it uh, helps <laughs> with plants i don't go to water plants every every single day yeah That's yeah break glad to see my garden is not suffering yet yeah <laughs> yeah we have the rain <laughs> it's sprinkling now not too loud thankfully um mm. but i think it's supposed to rain harder tomorrow so uh, we'll see how that goes i'm just I'm tired. It's been a long week, and it's yeah. just about to get longer. We're hitting the the torrid uh, holidays yep. stretch of madness. Yep, it's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> That's okay. This is year number XX into retail mm. hell. So yeah, same old, same old stuff. Just a different day. Fair enough. But yeah, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah uh, for, for the rest of the month um leonard is on holiday so hooray leonard um yes. he just had his birthday so also yes, hooray he leonard. Uh, yes he's now the big four O. Oh, good for him he's catching up he's catching up he's trying he's his hardest <laughs> yeah yeah by his hardest not to <laughs> get any older <laughs> uh, but happens to us all Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's been it's been a month, been busy, yeah. busy, busy, busy. Yeah, uh, yeah. We are taking a look at the Phantom of the Opera. So mm-hmm. our network sister podcast. I don't know. I don't think we've decided mm-hmm. on what to call it. But um, yeah, Jalachan's place. Uh, last month released a um, Phantom of the Opera uh, episode um, mm-hmm. focusing on the original novel 
uh, and the um, Susan Catherine Day Susan Day. Uh, I'll have to fix that later. Um, the <laughs> author, the the author of a sequel, like a direct or pre prequel novel, mm. um, that was written I think in two thousand three or so. Listen to that episode. I will put a link to it, and that will that will clear up all of my errors um, because mm. there's like a two hour long discussion <laughs> on those two <laughs> things. Uh, and so we're we're sort of con- we're bouncing back and forth, type kind of tossing the ball. Um, so we will be taking a look at the 1989 film mm. The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Dwight H. Little and starring Robert Englund. So that'll yep. be something a little different and then cameron what are you bringing to the table i am bringing to the table the 1943 phantom of the opera um american produced by arthur i'm gonna guess lubon might be lubin uh <laughs> uh starring nelson eddie Susanna foster and claude rains yeah i saw um when you brought that to my attention mm. I, i've not seen that one but um, just looking at like their production stills, I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a dashing lead." Yes, Mister yes. Mister Rains. They have uh, they have quite the um, quite the cast of beautiful people, uh, and I'm just I'm just looking at the uh, the poster from the release now, and it advertised, you know, it's in Technicolor. It's got all these big names and a cast of thousands, uh, which I guess you know is a selling point in early cinema, being able to well, early-ish cinema, being able to shoot big scenes with lots and lots of extras just hanging around and filling in the background, um, which i mean, get into it. I mean, still an accomplishment if you look at that these days. Uh, yeah, we true. went the other way with it and decided, <laughs> oh, if you see a bunch of people, it's probably a computer. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get into mine uh, later on. But uh, yeah, should we start off with yours? Well, we'll do a, a very, or, very brief overview. So Phantom yes, of the Opera okay. is a novel by French author Gaston Leroux, and mm-hmm. that was published uh, serially uh, in Les Gallo, oh. uh from 1909 until 1910. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was released in a giant uh, volume form mm-hmm. uh, in 1910. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's historically um, inspired uh, by events at the Paris Opera House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's this, this story has influenced hundreds of adaptations quite literally, oh, yeah. and yeah. it's a global phenomenon. Yeah. Like it's, 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 every every country's had their stab at, uh, some sort of adaptation and usually a cultural spin on it. So we're going to be, mm. um, it, Probably just maybe one or two more episodes, but um, taking a look at, at at the broader strokes of this. Yeah, yeah. And of course, different versions of the Phantom and like what he represents, or if he's mm. supernatural and or other, uh, or just a man, a man with a horrible, unfortunate um, disfiguration. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll go backwards. I'll I'll dive into the 1989 version yeah, um, of Phantom of the Opera. So I didn't have a chance to watch, as I mentioned, the version you yes. decided on. 
Um, and I'm yeah. assuming the reverse is also true. Uh, yeah, no, I I did rewatch the 2004 Phantom of the Opera to mm-hmm. buck, buck my memory of all that Gerard Butler goodness. Yeah. Um, and I also managed to fit in the six and a half minutes required to watch Spooks, which is a 1930 Oswald the Lucky Rabbit spoof on Phantom of the Opera while I was researching, but I did not manage to watch the 89 version. Uh <laughs> yeah, that was the um that's like part of the um Woody Woodpecker uh Yeah. Yeah, it, it's car- all that sort original of early run cartoon proto Disney ish. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Max Fisher and all that. Mm, it was great. It was really rhythmical, I think is my takeaway from that. It's mm-hmm. it, it's all like the slapstick, slightly puerile humor, but the animation matching to the music was really good and felt important for the um for you know the subject matter they're covering and it covered the phantom of the opera pretty fully in about six minutes which was impressive no dialogue really but yeah <laughs> yeah it gets it gets the point across mm, yeah, yeah i i just looked at a few of the snippets of it um yeah it looks it's fun it's mm. very bendy yes very bendy <laughs> of, of a time if you enjoy um cuphead uh, yeah <laughs> you'll love like this aesthetics of it yeah, the original. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the 1989 version, uh, it went through um, a little bit of production hiccups, as all things do. Mm. The original, um, so it was produced by um, Menem Golan uh, of Golan Globus, who mm-hmm. he and his cousin created Canon films yeah which did like every explosion action film that you could think of in the 80s yeah Yeah. um that company was slated to produce uh this phantom of the opera Mm -hmm. and um i i don't know if it was the year before it was prior right prior to beginning of the shooting for this um the company folded and Uh, this was brought on board by um 21st century and 21st century film yes and it underwent a few changes, mainly based on, I think, the new producers going, oh, we would like to have X, Y, Z happen to it. Mm. Um, so the film itself is set predominantly um, in uh, 1885 in London instead of uh, Paris. Okay. And the the movie opens in present day Manhattan. So that's mm-hmm. already like what <laughs> is going on? Yeah. And we we meet Christine Day instead of Daye yeah. Day. Uh an American um student of you know, I think she's at Juilliard. Mm. And she's auditioning for an opera. Um, yeah. coming up on, on Broadway. And she meets up with her her best friend who's also a um, historian at a library. Mm-hmm. Li- li- library historian? Yeah. <laughs> um, and her friend has has uncovered the on the unknown lost uh manuscript um written by a script it's a um op- operetta 
mm. music score, yeah. Yeah. song, everything, opera. Mm. Uh, uh, written by Eric Dessler, who is the, the Phantom, as we mm-hmm. find out through all these different adaptations. <laughs> uh, and it is the um, oh, what's it called? The, oh yeah, Don Don Juan uh, Triumphant. It's it's like the main mm. big song. Uh, and so she she finds that, and Christine's like, "Oh, where did you get this?" And I want to know more about this mysterious uh, Eric um, Dessler. Like, mm. so her friends like, "Oh, all, all I found was like this little bit of a." newspaper clippings sandwiched between all these other books mm-hmm. and apparently he was a composer who was also accused of being like a horrific serial killer oh and it just goes off on this direction okay. yeah <laughs> and christine's like oh I'll, tell me about that this this killer oh it's mysterious and it's real weird um so she starts digging around in the stacks and i'm i'm just I'm trying to figure out where this is going because mm. this is already kind of weird. And she, I'm like, is this going to Fushigi Yogi? Is she going to get sucked into the manuscript? Like, mm. <laughs> and go back in time? Is that what's going to happen? Because okay. like that, that's yeah, yeah. for a 19. That's fun. I'll, I'm, I'm here for that. So that's not what happens. She, <laughs> she finds <laughs> the manuscript, the, the thing, she starts singing it, and she's like, oh, um, her her art historian friends also a pianist. Mm. She's like, oh, I'll just play. I I can memorize this tonight, and you memorize yeah. the song, and then we'll play it tomorrow at the rehearsal. Like you, you'll blow them out of the water. This is great because no one has this. This is you, no one's going to touch the thing you're singing. Mm. And so they go to the rehearsal, uh, and as she's hitting like the midpoint of the song. Um, one of the stagehands up in like the rafters, uh, like bumps the little sandbag thing that mm. the weight, the counterweight to shift um, scenes. Okay. And the weight f- comes flying down and almost hits her in the face and busts this big mirror behind her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But as it hits the mirror, it, it like I don't know Scooby Doo visions. It goes mm-hmm. and um. <laughs> And her con- her concussion like knocks her into the past. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she wakes up in the London Opera House, <laughs> like in the middle of a, a stage production um, yeah. of uh, Faust, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she has no memory of like the other part. Doesn't matter. It's just mm. her earlier incarnation as Christine Day, yeah. an American student. Um, singing abroad in london mm. because i that was the only way to like give her a convincing not have to worry about an accent because everyone else yeah. is um, british yeah yeah um, um and bill nye is in this which was really weird oh. to see him like okay. very young i mean relatively yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was like oh oh who's this he's very smooth that's all oh, it's bill nye okay <laughs> <laughs> no wonder <laughs> no wonder yeah i know that devilish man anywhere he's the um uh the manager he doesn't own it he's, a, he's just he's the, the mm. i think he's just the manager for the production company yeah uh and oh wow he does look really young he looks really young yeah um wow <laughs> 
I know. Like... <laughs> I, I know. I was like, oh, who's this? Who's this gentleman? Yeah. And um, it's great because he's uh, he's like, oh, I'm trying to think of. He's in love with um, the Carlotta of the mm. of this this. She, if her name is Carlotta, still Carlotta. Yeah. Um, who's also I think an American just here, mm. but she's the diva uh, for the show, and um, he he's in love with her, so he keeps just like promoting her like, really hard. Mm to make sure that she's happy and has super lavish like they're in like a dorm singing dormitories but she has a big mm. suite with a big bubble bath thing and it's yeah. a lot <laughs> but he's just <laughs> fawning over her uh it's 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 really cute yeah because they have yeah. like an antagonistic like she's snarky at him and he's snarky but then he's like oh she's my beauty or whatever but it's not weird it's like just Mm. Seems fine. He's like a smarmy producer, but she's also terrible, so it's like it works out. <laughs> they're they're, they're both terrible together. to each other, yeah. but it's a good match. <laughs> Just feisty. Both. Uh, and yeah, so Christine is just, she's being tutored by her, her angel of music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from behind the mirror. So it's all like, it's hitting all the beats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's doing all the stuff. And we find out like immediately, uh, doesn't waste time showing off uh, Eric. And yeah. he he's a lot it's so it's Robert England and he's just chewing scenery. Like every time he's on, you're just like, Okay, I'm here for it. He's just he's not so I think where the film so it was a it was like a critical and commercial mm. failure, yeah. and when I'm watching it, I'm like I'm I'm, I'm entertained by it. I'm already familiar with the story, uh, and I can see that if you were to watch this in the theater at, in 1989, and you're fresh off of like Nightmare on Elm Street, mm. yeah. and his makeup is like the, the, the all of the marketing for this is like Freddy's in the opera house you know it's like mm. it's just trading on on that imagery yeah like very right, specifically right. and if you're if you're going to watch this and you're thinking okay i kind of might know what phantom of the opera is there's some horror roots in there you know launch any has like iconic makeup mm. um and this is this is freddy and it's supposed to have like gore and it's just it's not violent enough for like a, a diehard horror fan yeah but it doesn't hit the big like musical notes mm. uh for a phantom fan right it's right. sitting right in the middle and it's not comfortable there though and it has zero need to have added on the, oh, she's in the modern day, but then she got transported back. Because it doesn't matter. She doesn't, yeah. like, that's not written into the, the middle of the movie. Like, it doesn't no. make any difference. No. It just happens at the beginning and the end because they just wanted to, uh, I think they wanted to film a sequel. And they wanted him to be in modern day Manhattan and doing shenanigans. So it's like, mm. 
it it does some unnecessary a lot of unnecessary lifting when it didn't need to do mm. it had a fine movie without that extra stuff and it's just okay yeah but it's fun mm. because it's yeah. kind of it's kind of campy and i wish it had leaned into it a little bit more and that mm. i think may have been some of the concerns was like it just it just didn't if it's gonna be goofy like just do it like yeah. go full evil dead something like that it, it didn't really do that though no and it didn't just go like oh no he's a horrifying this is like jack the river you know it didn't do that either mm. it, it kind of tried to but then it's given eric like a bunch of weird one-liners mm. and it's like i don't i don't know if that, that worked either <laughs> um yeah yeah so he's uh, the long and short of it is, it's it's a basic plot. Um, he's he he wants Christine to be the the, the megastar, and he writes. He's in the middle of mm. composing his um, Don Juan triumphant. Yeah, and he wants her to like be the star of it. So he sets it up so that um, uh, Carlotta is not able to do her role. Uh, in mm. Faust, and then that puts Christine as the lead, and then he wants that to be like a kickoff for her career, mm. um, which would which would put her to stardom, and then like showcase his music because like he he wants his music to be the best. Yeah, yeah, and of course that doesn't work out. Just not what happens, and he's in love with her, and then she's like in love with him in the aspect of he can teach her how to be a star, but not with mm. him personally. Yeah. So it's an unrequited love on his part. She just wants to be a good singer. Yeah. And it's okay, I guess. Mm. Um, the, is it, is it Raul? I'm trying to think of because I don't think that's what his name is in this movie. Um, her her love interest mm. in this is uh, the owner of the the theater troupe. Oh, okay. So he's like he runs the the he's like the co owner of the theater. I think mm. he runs it with Bill Nye. Like I think they maybe they okay. both own it. It's not clear yeah. to me, mm. or I wasn't paying attention to that part because it didn't really matter. But um, he's you know he was he is. He's the same role as um, uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick, whatever, from the 2004 movie. Yeah. I can't think of his name. Mm. The main dashing yeah, yeah. hero guy. He's, this is this guy has a nice cleft chin. I mean, he's not, not a bad looking dude. Um, he's no Bill Nye, but yeah, he's okay. <laughs> he's just real, like not effective yeah right yeah and he gets bad ended Uh, like everyone everyone does he yeah he 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 didn't make it um oh dear carlotta didn't make it a lot of people just didn't make it um it's so yeah it's doing the murder thing like real hard he's a serial killer he's just murdering people what he does he skins them he's this oh this this skinning phantom like he's done it before and he'll do it again it's got a, it's got a lot more 
hyper-violent yeah. than I oh, imagined and he shows it, it would. Too. Like, he's, like, <laughs> shows the bodies of Flayed. It's like, like wow. Hellraiser, but no, not quite as good. Yeah. Um, and you're like, okay, yeah, it's doing that. But then it, it just did it once. And then just made some references. Yeah. So you see, like, one skinning of a dude that doesn't matter. And then, like, oh, the inspector that's been after this, this serial skinner in London for mm. some years uh, recognizes this the, the mark of a true artist. He's not a, just a killer. This is an artist or whatever. It's like, <laughs> or a genius or something. It's like, no one can skin them a lot and they're still alive. It's, it's like, okay, man. This dude just like, he just really wanted to be the main character. And he just is not. Mm. He's just there. He just pops up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just serviceable. Um, what's really great, though, is that uh, um, in this version, Eric, uh, he's a, a supernatural force. Yeah. Which is not what we normally get. No. <laughs> so, in this one, um, they're, they're, they're playing Faust. He... Uh, some years before made a Faustian deal with a, a miniature Satan. Yes. And the, the little, the little devil, um, mm. he's like, so you want your music to live forever. You want to live forever. And he's like, yes, I will make, I will do anything. He's like, how about will you offer your soul? He's like, yeah, sure. I'll offer my soul. And, mm. He you know, signs the on the dotted line and offers his soul up, and the devil's like, "Oh, you're yes. Um, according to the bargain, you will live forever, but you didn't think you'd get away free." It's like, dude, he gave you his soul. Yeah, it's like you can't uh, have your cake and eat it too, or whatever. And he just grabs his face and like melts it. Okay. So that Ooh. that was the un the unknown the monkey's claw part of it was like hey yeah you can yeah. live forever and everyone will know your music but you'll just be ugly like really badly burned it's not even like he you know it's he lost his ears and most of his all of his hair and his bones kind of mm. stick out a little bit it's pretty good yeah. makeup okay um, that's cool not not quite as good I think as Nightmare on Elm Street but it's pretty close. No. So the the mask of the the phantom in this is he the reason he's skinning his victims mm. I think maybe initially is because he grafts them to his face to make a mask. Yeah. So he like but it's like he sews them and it shows him just painfully as he's kind of he's not screaming but he's like upsettedly sewing them under his the patches under his face. Because he has to replace like forehead and, and cheek, and he puts a weird cartilage thing that's definitely anachronistic into his nose to like form a nose, mm. and then puts mm. skin over it, and then he uses makeup to like blend it all together, and so he has so he looks like um, handsome Squidward. It's really weird. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he, he handsome Squidwards himself up, and then and then goes and sits in his box office box office number five. Mm. Yeah, but watch the watch the watch the operas. <laughs> but um yeah he so he's like lusting after christine okay and he's really wants to get some of that and yeah he can't so he goes and sleeps with um uh uh prostitutes yeah and like 
he treats them fairly. He sleeps with mm. them. He's like, just keep the lights off. Yeah. Keep the lights off, baby. <laughs> and then that's all I ask. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you some gold. Um, mm. And he just pays them well. And then that's it. That's, that's, that's it. I'll, it's just meant to show you that he's like, oh, Christine. And she's like, my name's Hannah or something. He's like, no, tonight you're Christine. <laughs> Um, but, that, but that's it yeah it's like oh that's mm. that's nice i mean i don't i can't say that whatever it's not bad it's like nothing he's not a weird about it murderer. yeah i mean he's not he's not jack the ripper no um that's, that's, really that's he's not, not a redeeming killing, he's only killing point. people that get in his way yeah honestly. yeah so he's not just indiscriminately just murdering people mm. um the he, he's at a bar and he likes to sit in the tavern and compose his music i think that i don't i don't know I, I just really feel like you wouldn't do that but maybe he's just tired of being stuck under the opera house the whole time yeah in his catacombs he just doesn't maybe he can't write down there so he goes mm. to the tavern and just sits in a corner with like a little at a little writing desk and like orders drinks and writes yeah i mean i okay. guess it's like the same as going to a coffee shop and writing like composing your great novel yeah. at the coffee shop you know yeah just in 1885 <laughs> so you got to sit at the <laughs> alehouse um by candlelight and then mm. and then tip the the waitress in like golden coins and then yeah. have five ruffians going hey that guy that, that guy's pockets are loaded yeah let's go talk to him to introduce me to your friend and then the waitress is like yeah you don't want to don't mess with him he's always here <laughs> he's just a fixture like leave him alone. He tips well, mm. and he doesn't bother anybody. Just have a good night. Go home. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's of course not what they do. They like no, follow no. him out in the alley, mm. and they threaten him, and they're, they're like, "Give us your gold." And it's Robert England. So he's just like, "What do you have to trade?" Um, that's the terrible Robert England voice, but that's yeah. what he basically yeah. says. And there's like, flicking out a knife steal steal for your gold um then he's like i don't think you want to do that and they're like yeah, obviously we do because there's three of us and one of you and then he pulls out a whip and he like zorro the gay blade like beats the snot out of the i mean he kills them but mm. he's like whipping it kind of looks like castlevania yeah like i feel like they got some of that from this because mm -hmm. he's he's like whipping them and catching them in the throat and then like strangling them and pulling a knife blade out of the whip and slicing them up but mm -hmm. that's not even like that, that it's entertaining and it, it, it's it's filmed in like a super actiony way where it clearly like none of these actors are actiony actors mm. so it's like i don't think there's stunt people but they're just like the, the blocking is very funny because robert england's yeah. not like spry i mean he's spry but he's not an action guy you know he's yeah. just intimidating because he's mm. lanky um <laughs> and so he kills the two flunkies and the main dude that was like the boss of bandits like mm. is trying he decides he wants to run away because um uh, eric like cut off one of his homeboy's heads and like chucked oh. it at him Wow. And he's okay. just like, uh, <laughs> okay, you can keep the gold, maybe. <laughs> and um, tries to run away. And so the Phantom can, like, teleport. Mm. 
So he's just running down hall, you know, alleyways, and the the Eric will just be ahead of him, and then he turns around and he's behind him again. He's Batmaning all over the place, mm. like up to where he's like somehow up in the rooftops and jumps down. It's like what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> you can't escape him if he's after you. No one can escape the Phantom. Yeah, and yeah, that guy just gets killed. But the Phantom is really strong. You like this dude's a bulky dude, and he just. One arm, like, Cabedon, like, holds him up against a wall and, like, chokes him and then guts him. It's like, okay. Mm. He just picked up a dude with one in one arm. All right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Now we, we've established he can, like, teleport. He has super speed, super strength. Yep. Um, yep. He just, he stitches on other people's faces to his. He's Leatherface, but real fast. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, That's my phantom. What's going on? <laughs> yeah and oh man so it, the rest of the beats all happen they go to the masquerade ball he he absconds with christine takes her down to the his underground um mm. chambers and then he like sort of forces her into kind of unofficially marrying him Oh, okay. He like just quickly jams a ring under her finger, and it's like mm. it's a bladed thing that she can't pull off without like cutting her own finger off oh, for some wow. reason. Like that's yep. how you do. Um, yeah, yeah. He has her for not very long um, because the dashing hero and the inspector and uh, the inspector's um, buddy Davies, who mm. it's real weird. So we got the inspector, who's a big mustachioed guy. And he's yeah. the one that's like, I know this is the genius murderer. <laughs> and then he's got Davies, who I guess is a local cop or something. Yeah. Because they're both from Scotland Yard. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know what Davies is. He's just there. But Davies looks like um, Sweeney Todd, the Johnny Depp version, which is really weird. So he mm. has like a shock of white hair and a little scar on his head. And like this, okay. it's obviously like a wig. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's meant to be as like s- nice, smooth hair. So it's all this black hair, and then like this shock of white. And I was like, "What? You did this character building, but then didn't like mm. <laughs> do anything with this character? Like no one else looks like that. Just this guy. Mm. It's like what's what's his story? What did he did he get scared or did he get shot in the head and it like scared him? <laughs> so he has like a shock of white hair. Yeah, it's it's so weird because yeah, they just didn't. They have this fun character and then just didn't. It's he's just Davies. And then he gets brutally murdered by, by the Phantom and tricked. And mm. it's it's very silly. Like they're in the catacombs and they're following the rat man who's a dude that just keeps the rats away. He's paid <laughs> by Eric. He's like, the, Yeah. The Phantom pays me well to keep his secrets and keep the rats away. And the inspector's like, We'll pay you more. Show us where he is without giving him any money. And the rat guy's like, Oh yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Like he's been paying, you've been paying, you've been getting paid in gold, man. Mm. And you just, you just gave him up like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Um. But yeah, the inspector's like, yes, take this chalk and we'll mark our. There's miles of catacombs here, so just mark arrows, you know. Mm. Yeah. And then the phantom is just running around with another piece of chalk and like making their arrows point both ways. <laughs> it's very silly. It's very like like yeah. Scooby Doo, yeah, absolutely. Because the Phantom just like can 
you know, he just teleports around and laughs and runs and you can't see, you just see a shadow running. Yeah. And then there's a great part where he kills um, Davies' assistant, who's just some Mm -hmm. Bobby, some poor Bobby. And he's just mimicking his voice like, I Davies, I'm lost in the junk. I'm lost in the tunnels. Davies, come help me. I can't get my way out. And then Davies is just, where are you? Where are you, Bobby? And the guy's like, oh, Davies, come save me. And it's just the fandom mm. doing the yeah. voice. It's so good. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like, what? What is going on? And it goes on for like 10 minutes. This just mm. cat and mouse stuff. Um, they finally catch up to him. Uh, in his lair and the whatever the hero dude is he just gets like Mm. murdered real fast he gets like shanked in the side and then burned he didn't put up a very good fight it was yeah the thing is it's really weird because the phantom's strength is inconsistent so here he's like struggling against this other dude when he's been like lifting other people up with one hand hmm it's like he got weaker in his own seat of power i don't understand the dynamics of this yeah he they had to have him fight and not just be like immediately killed so Mm. i don't know um yeah it all and christine just starts like smashing stuff with the um brazier and yeah uh, i think she she burns his manuscript and it that that's his weakness is it like his life force is tied to mm. the manuscript but of course since yeah. we saw it in the future we know it's only kind of singed yeah um, right and uh she he, there's a there's a big the big phantom mirror that he like uses to talk to her through mm. which i i don't know i don't know if it's like teleporting him or if he's it's weird i don't know there's a mirror yeah. And she has a mirror, yeah. and it's the matching mirror. They have the matching mirrors. Um, she breaks that with the candelabrum, um, mm. and it like sends her back into the future. Right. So, because I know that the 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 beginning and the end are like added on, mm. I don't know what they meant to do with like the middle part of it. Because yeah. I mean, he, everyone's dead. <laughs> And then she just like breaks a mirror and screams and then mm. passes out. Like, okay, that didn't settle anything really. Mm. I mean, maybe the Phantom's dead. The inspector, I think, is dead. The, the other guy, definitely, definitely, he's dead. Davies did not make it. Bobby, oh, yeah. poor Bobby, did not make it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think the whole place is about to go into flame. Everyone's just going to get burned, I guess. Mm. And so it, it just. It just cuts right back to her being like given smelling salts or whatever, you know, just being woken up in the um, uh, Manhattan Opera place or wherever mm. she was doing her audition, the audition hall. Yeah, that's what they're called. Yeah. Um, and she's like, she wakes up and her her best friend is like, "Oh, you fainted there for a second. You're I'm glad you're back with us. Um, mm. I guess we probably screwed that up." And the uh, the dude doing the auditions comes out from like the, um, you know, he's where he's sitting in one seat up in the shadowy mm. audience thing. Yeah. Um, he comes down and he's like, no, no, this was perfect. Um, our, our producer wants to have a word with you. Um, 
so we can get all this finalized because you know you're going to be our star or whatever and the producer comes out of like the sound booth yep. and of course it's robert england so like in his you know no <laughs> no makeup it's just robert england yeah yeah and um it's great because he has like it's clearly a wig because he has a big this ponytail that doesn't look like it just mm. looks like it's attached it's like a, a weave Mm. like into his hair it's like okay yeah because he had to be you know he had to be like almost 90s it's like that that kind of like yuppie but long ponytail mm. producer guy yes. um and it's like yeah this is this was wonderful we're gonna we have a, a uh, not a rap party but like a audition party or something planned mm. um uh, let me like they're they're gonna my the dude that runs it, the director, he's going to like finalize the stuff with your assistant. Cause um, her, her best friend is like, Oh no, I'm her manager. You know, I'll, mm. I will handle that. Cause she has a concussion or something. She didn't want her friend to like, just, or she didn't want Christine to be googly and like not agree to it. Mm. Um, so she goes to her friend goes to talk to the um, director guy, leaving Christine alone with the producer. And He's like, oh, yeah, just come up to my um, apartment and we'll hang out. And then there's going to be a big party. I need to go, like, freshen up and stuff because I've been watching auditions all day long. Um, and yeah. I'm sure you want to, you know, calm down because you can crack your head almost cracked with a giant sandbag. Mm. Which wasn't our fault. We're not liable for that. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, so she's just in his, like, man, it looks like Patrick Bateman's apartment. Mm, it's right. like you know it's that kind of weird yeah 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 it's a big studio and he has like a big sound room and she's like mm. she just wanders in there and he has like the big keyboard yeah. and all the synthesizers and stuff and she's just touching things and she like mm. picks up a um she picks up a floppy disk yeah because this is 1989 and she's like <laughs> um because it was she sang her song and everyone's like what was that like mm. where did you find that and you know, they, they hadn't talked about it yet but she picks up the the, the disc and it says um don juan's triumphal and she's like uh, that's yes. weird so she sticks it into his computer and he has the computers that just do one program like mm. it's it just plays Soundmaster. yeah so she <laughs> she puts the the disc in and it just like boots up the program immediately and just starts playing the music but it's like blaring it through the whole apartment because it's just like giant speakers and she's like flip, she's like flipping out trying to like shut the computer down but she yeah. just is just pushing buttons um and the uh the producer comes back down and he's like oh you found my music or whatever he's like i've been waiting for you christine and it, it showed him when he was gonna go and he's like i'm gonna go put up my tie on and he has like mm. uh this big f- frosted uh glass like it's like an aquarium okay or yeah. it's not frost it's, it's 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 full of smoke yeah um and he opens it up and it's like a bunch of perfectly uh sculpted robert england faces okay <laughs> so it's it's like it's like um in mm. dark man yeah you know yeah. where they're you know prosthetic faces mm-hmm. um, so he has that now because this is obviously this is still eric yeah, yeah. And he's survived like these hundred and something years mm. waiting for her to reincarnate, which is yeah. real weird. 
Yeah. You know, I guess <laughs> as you do. As you do. Yeah. And he's like, Christine, you finally come back to me. It took so long for you to grow up and be 19 or whatever. Oh, God. It's like, okay, man. <laughs> oh yeah. You had to make it real weird. Um, he didn't, he didn't say that, but that's, it's, a, it's implied. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's in college. It's strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, she's, she's like remembering her weird past life time skip dream thing. Um, mm. And then she just, he's like, you can, you choose music or love, music or love. What will it be? Mm. Um, he's like, I've been waiting so long. We will finish our song together and then rule the music world as king and queen. I don't know. He doesn't, mm. he doesn't pontificate that long. Um, he doesn't really get the chance. He's just to kiss her, which is already super smarmy. And she yeah. like rips his face, all oh, the prosthetic face off. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah three times worse looking now because mm. it's been another hundred years and his face, I think, I guess it got burnt. So it's like the burns yeah. turn like brown and green. Mm-hmm. So he's just a goopy, like yeah. real, real <laughs> nasty. And um, he's like, Oh my face. And then she, I think she Maybe this is where she burns his, or she knows she rips. She just tears in half the printed out sheets or something. And he's like, "My music." Um, <laughs> I think she maybe, she maybe she stabs him with something. Yeah, I think she probably stabs him. I don't. I yeah. think I checked out at this point. I was like, "What?" <laughs> um, she may have stabbed him, um, with a letter opener. I don't know. Can, mm. You can pick your pick your pointy object that may be in a uh computer composers mm. electronic well, 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 it's not laboratory they're just a composing room yeah audio engineering suite i don't know um yeah and she just he dies uh yeah and then she runs out into the street and then it like i think it just fades to black and then it's it's some time later and she's a professional now because she's just dressed real fancy and mm. she's walking home or somewhere don't know uh and she passes like this bum mm. uh who's play, playing a nice song on the violin yeah and so she throws him some money and then as, as she of course walks by then it's he starts playing um don juan triumphant and you're like oh it's the it's eric yeah yeah he's, he's still you didn't kill him. He's immortal because he made a deal yeah. with the devil. He just looks hideous, but he's immortal forever. <laughs> and always lusting after young Christine. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I did not mean to go <laughs> that long. The movie, <laughs> just, the movie goes places and you're just like, yeah. man, I, it, it's entertaining. It's weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it didn't need the book ending because now it's like forever he will hunt after her and every time just waiting for her to become a young woman again it's like man come on mm. now you make it real strange um yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's phantom 1989 what a year yeah yeah great yeah yeah <laughs> but he gets cool like teleporting move i mean like that that yeah. part's fun i wish they did more yeah. with it um he just they yeah murderers like two or three people and they're like okay 
but then like I just they, he wasn't consistent. I mean, if you're gonna be super no. strong, like let him always be super strong, or tell me why he's not now. Yeah, yeah. Like have her have burned some of the music, and then he got weaker. I don't know. You know that you could mm-hmm. have done something, just some kind of shorthand to like give us that information. Yeah, absolutely. Just so it's consistent. Anyway, so tell us about <laughs> the, the the vinyl violinist Phantom. Is it? Does he yes. do more violin music? Um, he doesn't actually do very much violin music at all, which will, uh, he does a bit. Um, and this is sort of my area of speciality. So I'll go into that a little bit. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Before I let, before I let you just yes, please, r- please. regal me with this, they, they had the graveyard scene where Christine goes and cries to her father's grave Yes, because he's supposed to have like sent the angel to like teach her. And, mm. um, that's where Robert England, like he take, he serenades her with the, he doesn't want to say just. I don't know. He's just playing. He tricks her with the violin. It's a weird. Mm. I don't know. He's playing the violin, and then she gets like hypnotized into getting into a, a coach that just appears. Yeah, right, right. And then they ride off into the catacombs. But um, uh-huh. Raul or whatever the I keep saying Raul because I think that's his character's name elsewhere. Yes. I don't think he's yeah. what he's called here. Um, he is trying to get in the gate, and it's like mm. it's it's just manually locked, but with a yeah. latch. Okay. And so he's just like struggling, I guess, and then he reaches through and like pops up. It's like so dumb. <laughs> but he runs in, and as he's running in, the phantom starts playing a, a like a little jig thing, mm. and it like a yeah. screechy jig, and it like it hurts his ears. Oh, but, I mean, he starts screaming. Like, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Like, the music controls. It's like be consistent. Okay, does he have music powers too? Yeah, I guess. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> if he has that, why didn't he use that before? Mm, like, yeah, he, he, uh, he kills a lot of people that he could have just like, you know, tortured them with disabled. like music. Yeah, he could have just been like, yeah. so, Mister London Times critic, how about how about now? <laughs> what do you think of Christine Daae's music? How about if I play this song? Do you like it now? You know, yeah, so that would have. Yeah. I mean, that may have been too <laughs> a step too far in the cheesy direction. Yeah, well, maybe, but maybe. Dude, give, if you're gonna give him weird <laughs> violin powers, like mm. do it more than once. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not a one off. No one wants a one off. Yeah, no, no one loves. Anyway, that. tell us about this other non-violinist phantom. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So yeah, Phantom of the Opera, 1943 in Technicolor. Um, there's a few things about this. It's the only universal uh classic universal horror film that won an oscar which is good for them for art direction and cinematography uh and i think i, w- I will say it's well deserved this movie is beautiful with a capital b it's kind of ridiculous and part of that is owing to the fact that uh it actually reuses the sets for the 1925 phantom of the opera which is this mm. really really elaborate and down to the last detail recreation of the interior of the Opera Garnier in Paris. Like the, the actual building yeah. at uh, Place de l'Opera. Um, it, it is, it is absolutely striking and gorgeous. The, it, it is, you know, the correct levels of gaudy and magnificent architecture that really, really sells the whole, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, this, this film, uh, is a, a pretty good take on the fan. It's, it's less of a monster movie and more of a, some, some of sort of a mystery movie, I would say, than definitely than yours was, which is 
as you said, he's, he's teleporting around, he's got uh, people being skinned and stuff. It doesn't quite go into the gruesomeness of that or the, the super-powered side of that. Uh, our Phantom is but a man. Um, but yeah, it, it centers on four sort of main characters that the story revolves around. We have Christine Dubois rather than Daye. Slight name change. Uh, we have Raoul Dubert, uh, who is her love interest. He's an inspector with the Surete uh, in Paris. Oh, okay. um, that's a little different. Yeah, a little different. Um, and we have, um, who was it? It was Nelson Eddy played him as Anatole Garon, who's a baritone in the opera, who's Christine's sort of, not not mentor, but someone who does his best to help her out and get her training and stuff. And then, of course, we have Eric Claudin, played by Claude Rains, uh, who is our 2B Phantom of the Opera. Um, and, yeah, th- this film is really good. It gets going. It's only 93 minutes, um, and so it, it, keeps, it keeps it short and sweet in most things. Uh, and, yeah, uh, we have Eric Claudin is a violinist, in the orchestra when the film starts. Uh, Christine is a soprano in the chorus. Uh, Anatole is sort of like the lead baritone for most of the performances. Uh, and then Raoul shows up when he can to do things like distract Christine from joining the curtain call when he shows up backstage to say hi. Uh, <laughs> um, pretty pretty early on, it is really demonstrated that. Um, Eric uh, has this infatuation, this obsession with Christine, which, you know, fitting the traditional phantom archetype there. Uh, But throughout the film, it's a lot more ambiguous about what exact kind of love this obsession is in, because this, this is a film that began production in 1935 and didn't actually release until 1943. It had a bit of, a bit of development hell of its own to go through. And in the initial script, uh, apparently he was going to be more of a, a paternal love figure. Uh, and although they wrote that out because of concerns about incestuous themes, uh, it does really still sort of pull through strongly throughout the film, which I really liked that ambiguity as to like whether it's a romantic love or a more familial style love that he's sort of being swept up in. Um, because, you know, most of the time it's just the straight romantic love with the Phantom. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's leaving roses and he's boosting someone's career because he wants them to be his angel of music, etc. And, you know, uh, no roses in this one, at the very least. Uh, not from Eric, at least. Um, but yeah, uh, Christine is a young up-and-comer. While she's still in the chorus, everyone sort of recognizes she has a fantastic voice and a big reason for that is she's been getting singing lessons with like the premier Italian voice director in Paris. Oh. Um, and uh, she has a secret patron who's paid for her all her lessons, uh, which for, for context, uh, a full month of her salary, according to the film, would not pay for a single half hour lesson with this man. Uh, <laughs> he's expensive, but he's, he's the best. Uh, and we discover pretty soon that uh, Eric is that patron. Uh, we discover it because the the head of the orchestra, the conductor, calls him into his office and has a discussion with him. There's been some discord in the violin section. 
um, I think I've narrowed it down to you. Can you play me something? And Claudan gets out his violin, which I'm, I'm going to be <laughs> going to be both petty and very detailed about things. First off, I love his violin case. Uh, the handle is on the top, which is an awkward design to carry around, but superior in caring for the instrument. Uh, so, you know, the, don't know if that's characterization or just what was available in cases at the time, but I really like like the touch here. Um, he, the actor play, Claude Rain plays very well. I don't think he's an actual violinist. It's a little out of sync, but he's clearly studied bow and hand movement and posture very well. Some of the best violin playing I've seen in a film, um, which is not always a high bar, but I'm glad they tried. (laughs) Uh, and he plays a simple little tune from Provence where he grew up. Uh, and the, the guy was like, well, maybe it wasn't you. You played that beautifully. And, uh, well, no, but it was you. Can you play, you know, the opening of the third act from this particular opera we're doing, whatever is like, I can't. Uh, the fingers on my left hand just aren't working properly. Uh, so he's started to succumb to some, some malaise of age, probably. It does happen. Um, he played the tune from Provence because it's super simple and doesn't actually involve a lot of finger work, which they did again reflect in the, the acting there. It's all shifting the whole hand rather than moving the individual fingers. Uh, and this is the majority of the violin music in the film is this little two minute segment here, unfortunately. Uh, but with, you know, Eric having worked for the opera for 20 years, He's obviously saved up a tidy little sum, so we'll we'll give him a season pass to the opera in appreciation of his long service and dismiss him. You got this tidy little sum to retire on. You'll be fine. And then we cut to Christine getting her lessons, and it's revealed uh, Claudin doesn't have a penny to his name. He spends all his earnings paying for Christine's lessons because he believes in her potential to become like the the premier soprano of their time he he loves her he loves her musical capability and talent uh he's he's now in very dire straits and so he does the only thing you can do when you're out of money which is you sell something you've been working on and hope it hope it goes big uh he has written a concerto uh he takes it to a uh, a very important local publisher uh, drops his office says, you know, look it over. I need, I need to publish this. It's fantastic. It's triumphant. Everyone will love it. I do believe it is Don Juan triumphant again. I think, um, off the top of my head, I don't think that would have changed that little detail. Um, and this is sort of our inciting incident because the uh, Playa, I believe, was the name of the uh, of the publisher. Oh, oh, double check. Playel. <laughs> is the publisher and um he doesn't hear back from him for a full day he's just sitting in the office waiting around because Playel is fooling around with his secretary doing etchings mm. uh with acid and uh finally Claudin can't take it anymore bursts into the office and demands to get his score back if they're not going to look at it basically uh and they can't find it it's nowhere in that office and until you hear the piano tinkling in from somewhere else in the building, um, Playel's uh, partner, the other the other half of this publishing company, is showing the concerto to Franz Liszt, 
uh, the very famous composer and, and performer. Um, and this is the, the tragedy part of it, because in the other room, uh, Franz and the and the other publisher are sort of lauding this work, going, this is incredible, Player will publish this, he has no choice. Um, whoever wrote this is an absolute genius, what's his name, oh, it's like Claudin, something or other, and in the other room, Claudin, sort of frantic with his need for money, he hasn't paid his landlady for six weeks, he can't afford more lessons for Christine, he can't afford to feed himself, etc. Um hears his own music being played somewhere in the building and leaps to the conclusion that Playel has stolen his work, uh, strangles him and uh, to death. And Playel's secretary defends herself in the only way she can think of, which is to throw a vat of acid into Claudan's face. Uh, and this is where we get our tragically disfigured... Uh, by by an acid attack phantom it's not the not the born deformed phantom of certain other films and adaptations uh he flees off in the night covering covering his face screaming crying the whole time um it, again a fun bit of like no one assumes anything's wrong initially because this really frantic man went into player's office to get his work back it was presumably rejected just runs out sobbing and crying and then stumbling out of the building and I was like, oh it's fine, it's fine. And the secretary comes out, there's been a murder. Uh and we get a literal mob chasing him through the through the back alleys of Paris. Uh until as night falls he manages to make his escape into the sewers and make his way back into the opera house. Uh through throughout this period, you know the the police begin investigation, which obviously brings in Raoul in his role as the as the chief inspector of the Sûreté, um, or a a chief inspector. I don't think he's the chief inspector. Yada yada yada. Um, and uh, Raoul and uh, Anatole Garon, the uh, the other lead man of the film, uh, they they sort of get to know each other. They come to get come to know each other uh, because. Anatole is helping Christine rehearse because uh, obviously her singing tutor is no longer available because her patron hasn't paid for lessons recently. Uh, and Raoul comes in to question her because in Claudan's uh, quarters they found a extremely detailed bust of Christine, uh, which Anatole recognizes as one he sculpted and was going to give to her uh, as a present. Um, as this sort of tangled web. Um, but this introduces my absolute favorite element of the film, which is Raoul and Anatole sort of riffing off of each other. Uh, the, this sort of, I mean, courtship must have been monstrously difficult at the time. It's, it's all nothing but implication and extreme like societal politeness. And they play around this in the scene so mm -hmm. perfectly. It's, incredibly funny to watch them take this most subtle digs at each other as you know like uh i'm a detective but quite often the detective overlooks things as he's you know walked in on his um essentially his girlfriend with a strange man he doesn't know sitting right next to each other at a piano singing to each other's faces and he's gone mm, don't know about this uh and this sort of back and forth sort of witty dialogue is really really fun um, and then as they both go to leave, um, you know, uh, Raoul just 
has to go do some stuff, but obviously wants Anatole out of there. So says, uh, is that your carriage out the front? Like, certainly, do you need a ride? He's like, yes, yes. Well, which way are you going? I'm going to, it's like, it doesn't matter. My business in Paris as an officer of the law takes me anywhere I need to go. <laughs> and sort of playing <laughs> back for like, you're coming with me if I'm leaving. I'm not leaving you two alone. Uh, and then when they get to the door, they bump into each other, both trying to go through a one-person door. It's like, after you, monsieur. No, after you. And then they bump into each other again. And rule of threes, they do this another time. And it just, it's sort of a recurring, rec- a recurring motif throughout the film. This sort of slightly prickly, but very, very polite rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the course of the film, they actually grow much closer and get much warmer with each other, but still maintain that sort of sparring of personalities. And it's really satisfying. It's really fun. <laughs> See them constantly both uh, thinking through the events of what's to come and uh, both try and get their own solutions and both, again, rib at each other over it and like, oh, surely you wouldn't think of this. Oh, yada, 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 yeah. Uh, it, they are both fantastic actors. They're really pushing it off and just, they look very similar in, in their, their overall sort of, uh, they dress very differently, obviously, but they've got similar mustaches. They got similar shaped faces, similar haircuts. They're very clearly meant to be the, you know, the, 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 the attractive fashionable man of the era sort of archetype. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the, the very artsy, sort of more garish and emotional take with Anatole and much more reserved, respectable take with uh, Raoul. And they play off each other so well. Um, and it continues on. Uh, there is now a thief lurking in the opera house. Uh, you know, a few doors have been left open. Some food has been stolen, including a, a barrel of pickled pig's feet, <laughs> which uh, the, the the two owners of the opera also fantastic pair of uh pair of actors who play off each other one sort of very nasally and quiet until he needs to be very refined and the other one's sort of much more rambunctious like you know someone's broken to the opera house they've stolen a costume and two masks like no no someone must have misplaced it's like and also they broke into the kitchen they stole a barrel of pig's feet a pate and a hands like this must be stopped call the police um <laughs> man's got his priorities right obviously <laughs> Um, that's my favorite <laughs> exactly <laughs> so it's like you know a, a, a thousands of dollars silk costume and masks are stolen he doesn't care the, the ham goes missing my man is ready for action <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and in addition in this scene that you know they, they are sort of nat- naturally talking through well there's a thief in the opera house if he wanted to hide, probably it'd be incredibly difficult to find him. But we'll we'll go to a check, and he goes, and um, the one of the owner's master keys has also been stolen. At which point, they essentially give up on the idea of ever catching whoever's broken in, because as they say, there's you know two and a half thousand rooms and two and a half thousand doors to hide behind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like you, you, you could send the entire police force of Paris in here, and they would not be able to find someone who was trying to hide. Uh, and they really play that up. Like um, Claudin here is not supernatural at all. He is just a man who knows the space incredibly well. Like he's yeah. he's worked I mean, he's been and there lived for twenty here. years or whatever. Twenty years, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, and so the, the, the sort of subtle horror of this is the idea of someone who could be literally anywhere in the building and can move around more or less unseen. And they, they really do play into that, uh, which is fantastic. Um, they, they have an upcoming performance that evening uh, and a threatening letter is received that Christine must be the one to take the lead role over Mademoiselle Biancaroli. Uh, they, of course, ignore it. What twaddle. What nonsense. And so um, this is where the thousands of the cast of thousands claim really starts coming in because we get a set we get a set shot of um, everyone preparing for the performance. You know, there's probably like upwards of 200 people on screen at any one time and they are going off screen, coming back on screen. Different people are going off and coming back on and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and an opera is an incredibly busy production and in the middle of it you can barely notice someone coming in and slipping something into a goblet in the center of the stage and again that that horror of someone who's so natural in that space and can blend in so easily um is is really fantastic um and they begin the performance the leading lady biancaroli uh, does her opening aria and then as part of the performance takes a sip from a goblet walks off stage and promptly passes out <laughs> she's been drugged uh it, this is a, this is a terrible things we have to do something well her understudy must step up who is christine dubois she steps up she is a absolute sensation uh adored for her performance by the critics and the crowd and then we get the um the fantastic diva scene wherein Bianca Roli says, I've been drugged. I know exactly who did it. It was Anatole Garon because he wanted that, that little hussy Christine Dubois to be the star and co-star with him. It's all he's ever wanted. Yeah, yeah. You can see it on the face. I demand they be arrested. I was drugged, drugged. I say near to death <laughs> when she passed out for 10 minutes and had a mild stomachache afterwards. Uh, and, um, again sort of getting Raul involved as well like, why won't you arrest these two people clearly they must have done it clearly clearly everyone knows it's like well, hearsay is not evidence um which is the the point where i think Raul and uh anatole sort of start to warm up to each other because confronting the this obnoxious person who all they do is yell and scream about how things have to go their way um is kind of uh kind of a bonding moment i would say mm -hmm. everyone's had that you confront someone very obnoxious and go, you know what? You're not so bad. Person who I have a mild disagreement with, it could always be worse. Uh, but she insists that if this whole incident is to just be forgotten, the whole incident must be forgotten. Write to the critics. They're not allowed to mention Christine's name in any of the papers. Uh, it's like, what, what, do you want us to write to the public and tell them to ignore the fact that Christine Dubois was a sensation last night? Like, yes, I expect that. Uh, real, real diva material. Uh, and so they have to hatch a plan to get Claudan. Everyone knows it is Claudan, which is, again, the interesting take. The, there's the Phantom of the Opera, but everyone knows exactly who it is. It's like, Eric Claudan, he was a member for 20 years, he was fired, and the next day he snapped and murdered someone and he's been on the run ever since there's someone broken in the opera house it has to be him we just were not able to catch him um 
the the mystery is you know what will he do next what will happen next um etc uh and late that night bianca Rolli and her maid are in their quarters and the maid is going to put away one of her costumes and notices the curtain to the wardrobe twitching and Claudan is there because he can be anywhere in the building that he wants gives them sort of a final ultimatum this is where we first see him in like the full phantom outfit of this beautiful sort of velvet cloak with a red satin lining and a gray uh half mask completely covering the upper face and nose is it's really quite striking on the poster it looks green for some reason it's not it's gray <laughs> um i guess that's the technicolor advertisements for you yeah yeah uh, i think that they were like um uh, du- dual tone yeah i can see that yeah um, yeah, it gives, the, gives her sort of the final ultimatum of, Bianca Rolli, you need to leave Paris now. You're not going to perform in the lead ever again. Christina's, she's my angel of music, etc. It's like, um, Bianca Rolli being a diva does not take kindly to this and goes to strike him. And uh, he, he snaps again. He murders Bianca Rolli and her maid and flees down a corridor as, some, as people flock to the screams. And so we get the, we get the scene of Claudan fleeing. Anatole following him, and then Raoul, uh, a few steps behind, chasing after Anatole, who looks like he's fleeing the scene. Uh, and again, this incredibly intricate set, where it is like a, a full-on replica of this ancient Parisian opera house, is incredible. There's, there's these enormous long halls that are like fully kitted out they've got the you know incredible carpet the the all the wall cladding is perfect there's furnishing everywhere and then you transition into like a stone uh undecorated backstage area and these rickety iron spiral staircases and things like that and it's incredible like the the detail and the amount of the amount of um passage space allowed in this building is really well represented like there's walkways everywhere overhead there's like a cable forest basically of ropes and pulleys which you know you can climb up through and all kinds of things this is this incredible space and then there are maintenance paths and walkways throughout the entire ceiling of the building and they're really showing off the the maze-like quality of this set um, I'm going to keep saying it's awesome and just do my best to describe it, but people, you should go watch this film. It's great. It's really funny and witty, and it's got an incredible set, which I will keep harping on about. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, eventually, Anatole loses him uh, up in the ceiling somewhere, uh, and Raoul catches up, like, didn't you see him? Uh, Anatole is like, didn't you see him? Didn't you see that phantom at the opera? He's like, no, I was chasing you. <laughs> because it was incredibly suspicious the way you were running away from a murdered lady's bedroom. Um, <laughs> but again, no no hard evidence on Anatole there, so they, they maintain that uh, professional relationship and don't arrest him. But they come up with a plan to deal with uh, Claudin once and for all. They are going to put on another show the next night. They have to. The opera needs to keep going. Um, and the sensationalism of the news is definitely drawing people in. Uh, they won't put Christine in the lead as as was demanded, and this will lure him out to act. They'll have officers both amongst the cast and the audience ready to spring. 
and if that fails in the uh at the end of the act they'll have Franz Liszt come in and play the concerto uh to sort of lure him out as one last attraction uh and so they they spring into action they've got their two separate plans Anatole's plan being the concerto uh Raoul's plan being fill fill this fill this opera house with policemen and hope for the best um then uh Claudan sneaks in kills one of the officers who were assigned to guard the backstage area like strangles him again and um steals his mask and cloak similar to the ones he was already wearing uh and as it becomes apparent that Christine is not the lead lady here uh he goes up into the ceiling with a hacksaw and spends the better half of the performance soaring away at the great chain that holds this enormous chandelier above the audience and this has been really well set up every few shots of an opera going on they have the camera pull back so that this enormous chandelier is in the right of the frame and it's it looks weighty and heavy and it, it has significance um but it's never made super like prominent like they don't zoom in on menacingly like oh there's a space up there someone could be they're just like here's the opera house it's got this incredible chandelier bring your attention to the chandelier for a few moments and move on with whatever scene they were doing and then here we have the chandelier beginning to sway throughout the performance as he continues to soar away at the chain um Raoul discovers that one of the officers has been slain. They start this manhunt through the backstage because they assume uh, Claudan is going to attempt to kill the leading lady. Uh, and so they are taken quite by surprise when the chandelier falls from the ceiling, uh, crashes into the audience, presumably killing several people. Um, it's a 1940s film. They don't linger in on it. There's no gore or anything. Uh, but you see like a brief split second shot, shot of like an arm reaching out from under the chandelier, I think. And then everyone runs for their lives because I would too. That's terrifying. Uh, and in the confusion, um, one of Raoul's officers uh, gets Christine to follow him like this way. I'll, I'll get you somewhere safe. Uh, and then immediately that obviously that's not an officer. That's Claudan. He's gotten backstage. Um, shoves her through an iron gate into into sort of um, a sewer access area, uh, and we finally get down into the the maze of the sewers. Claudan explains, you know, he's always loved Christine. He's always cared for and sacrificed for her over the whole last two years she's been here at the opera, um, and now she can sing as much as she likes. She can be the leading lady as much as she likes, but only for him, only for him here in their. Um, dark little grotto which you'll learn to love the dark it's smooth and embracing and it, it's gentle you know we don't need the light in our lives he's he's, he's gone full like um kind of like the penguin in the in the tim burton batman almost mm -hmm. like he, he's fully adapted to sewer life but within like the span of a week <laughs> he's he's really into it he, he's managed to drag an old piano down here and he's got his barrel full of pig's feet and other various foods all set up um and you know he's like you know you'll love it you'll get you'll get to know it and then up above the the show's been finished but anatole decides they got to press on um franz list starts playing uh claudan's concerto 
and you hear it filtering down because you know there's, there's plenty of open spaces for sound to pass through here and he's like, my music my music he sits down at his piano and begins playing along as best he can with his partially frozen left hand uh and insists that christine sing along and she actually does know the music um because as she explains later this entire concerto is based off of that tune from Provence, which Claudin knew, but also Christine knows because she was born in Provence, um, never knew her father, uh, anything like that. Um, and he's like, why would he write, why would he write a concerto based around the, the tune from my area? He's like, well, he was also from Provence, et cetera, et cetera. It's that, that area where that original script was clearly, he was going to be her fa- her long lost father meets yeah. the, we can't do that. This is meant to be a romantic horror. And they leave that ambiguity of, were they both just born in the same area? Is this a, is this something more? Is this something less? Um, but as she becomes the angel of music and sings for him, Raul and Anatole are um, getting down in the sewers themselves in pursuit. And uh, they actually use the sound of the music to track down through the maze to where they believe um Claudan and Christine should be and uh here we get the the longest setup which is uh Anatole has a sword Raul has a gun because he's a police officer <laughs> um uh, Raul lines up a perfect shot on Claudan and as they both attempt to go through the door at the same time uh Anatole bumps into him as he's done so multiple times previously in the film as they've attempted to go through doors, uh, hits him in the elbow and his shot fires up into the ceiling, which causes a cave-in. <laughs> um, yeah, there's not not well-maintained down here. Um, they grab Christine and flee the underground, and Claudan is presumably crushed to death under a pile of rubble. Um, the, his sort of final shot is the half mask and the violin lying together in the rubble, um, in what is actually, again, quite a, quite a beautiful little shot. Uh, and then, you know, uh, quite a while later, the story's concluded, you know, the killer's been, well, not caught, but taken care of, um, peace has been restored to the opera and Christine is a massive star seeing as the the other leading lady is dead, there's no one to compete for her space. Um, Claudan sort of got his wish in the end. Christine became ultra-famous. And Anatole and um, Raoul are both still vying for her affection and both ask her to go out to the Café de l'Opera that evening for supper. Uh, And they, they say, it's come to a point now, you have to choose between us neither of us neither of us can accept this going on any longer and at this point um they're they're all together in her dressing room they offer her the same bouquet of flowers they picked out the exact same bouquet each uh and her her adoring fans are waiting outside eagerly to you know meet her talk to her get signatures and that kind of thing and she looks at them both and says uh, if you'll excuse me and she rushes off and she chooses her career over marriage uh and which good for her, uh, and then leads to my favorite conclusion in any film I've watched recently, which is uh, Anatole and Raoul both look a little defeated, and then Raoul looks at Anatole, uh, Anatole, sorry, looks at Raoul and says, "Well, uh, I have a seat free at the table at Cafe de l'Opera if you would like to join me for supper." Uh, 
and says, you know, I would be delighted. Uh, they both go to the draw to the dressing room, dressing room, bump into each other, trying to go through the door. Um, after you, Monsieur, no, after you bump into each other again. And then instead of doing that and bumping into each other a third time, uh, Raul offers his arm to Anatole, who takes it. Uh, they they sort of link their arms in the traditional loving style and walk off together, and that's how the movie ends. Uh, in this sort of, I'm, I'm assuming absolutely at the time played for laughs, but in a more modern context, kind of sweet, potentially romantic ending there for the uh, the male rivals of the film. Yeah, I mean that's, um, that's definitely how it would be yeah, read. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Overall. Uh, I, I cannot overstate the sheer beauty of some of the sets, costumes, and shots of this film, but it's also at times quite tense, at times quite sweet and tender, and just really funny a lot of the time as well. It's really, really well done. Uh, I had a rollicking great time watching it. I really heartily recommend it to people. I know I've talked through the whole thing, but it's it's Phantom of the Opera. You already knew most of the plot going in if you've ever seen or read any other Phantom of the Opera or adaptation thereof, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really fantastic. Yeah. It sounds like both of these hewed pretty close to the source material and they mm. just had their own little spins on it. Uh, I yeah. will say that the set, um, the set pieces in the one I watched were, everything was very wet Mm. So all yeah. of the catacombs, mostly, it just Ugh. looked moist <laughs> in mm. an unpleasant okay. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was very dark, but mm. the transfer was good. Uh, so whatever okay. they've whatever they did with the masters to the Blu-ray release, which is what I watched, um, mm. it's not muddy. It's clear. It's just. It's well lit as far as like the camera's concerned, so you can see mm. everything. It's just dark, like that's yeah. the yeah. palette. Okay. Um, the music, the, the 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 score itself is really good. Mm. So mm. the soundtrack is good. Um, yes, on this one, uh, and they really only they play like the Don Juan triumphant and a few. Mm. That that's a little loud. A few times they play it, it's, yes. it's blasting. So I think that's just down to the arrangement. Like, it's just a loud piece mm. because it's a triumphant. It's not Don Juan moodily like, <laughs> yeah, going Don, off into Don the night. Yeah, introverted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's a blasting piece. So mm. um, I, I enjoyed that. I, I did enjoy listening to... I think this is one of the first, one of the few times where um, you're only getting snippets of the opera, so you get a bit of Faust. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I was like, I think it's because of the singer. I could listen to it, and I don't mm. know Italian, but I can. Yeah. I can g- get some of it. Mm. So I, I mean, could, the, I was like, this is the, the first time I've listened opera. to an opera, and went, oh, I kind of know mm. what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big part of it. Like, because everything is sung, they had to work hard to make sure, like the the coordination of the actors and also just the music itself conveyed things clearly. 
because if you can't hear the words clearly or you don't speak the language, you still need to be able to sort of get the point, which is the fun part of opera. Yeah, and I mean, I've always been, I, you can see visually what's going on, but in this, I'm mm. like, no, I can actually, I think I got what she's said, like the actual lyrics. Mm. I can, yeah, I can kind yeah. of understand them. Yeah, uh, and it's just down Good to old romantic language. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's down to like the enunciation of the actress, mm. like very the clear. way it's it's very clear. I, I I can see when the words are happening. Mm, mm. Because if I'm listening, if I'm just listening to something and it's just like the very few times it's maybe been a CD or a tape or something, mm. it's like I don't. It's they're not clear. It's hard for me to hear it. Yeah, yeah. But seeing someone and like kind of, she's not fully overselling it. Mm. So I can see. I don't know. The mouth movements are matching a little bit more. Yeah. Versus yeah. someone just full, like, chest singing. I mean, it's like they're projecting. They have to project mm. so much because there's not, like, microphones. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And. You got to really push. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is one of the ones where it's like, oh, is it this particular opera? It's um, mm. in Italian. I'm like, okay. I can get that. Some of the other ones, yeah. they're in German or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, mm. it's, the, the words don't lend themselves to being stretched so yeah. far. But yeah, I um, I enjoyed the one I watched. I mm. I wouldn't say it's a good movie. It's fun. <laughs> uh mm. it's it's worth watching in, in in this way like in contrast to like maybe watch this and then watch like the gerard butler one yeah <laughs> like i wouldn't say go the other way around no um, i mean that's not a masterpiece <laughs> either but it's very bombastic it's a competent film you know yeah. it, it does what it needs to do and it yeah has spectacle yeah and i have <laughs> seen that recently um in preparation mm. for doing all of this actually but yep. um, I I don't think, in hindsight, that looking at this movie, I, you can see what they wanted to do with it. You can see where it went, mm. like, a little off the rail, maybe. But it's yeah. still fine. Mm. Um, I Again, by virtue of it having been in the box office, that hurts movies like this. Yeah. Whereas they, it, it, it didn't become like a cult classic or anything no whereas you get yeah. something that if it just really goes for it you'll get um the phantom of the paradise where mm. that is a cult classic yeah just because it's so ridiculous yes <laughs> Good. and what was what was what uh what was fun was that particular mm. movie was on the um trailer reels um when i watched this oh fun yeah yeah, and I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that one. I'm, like, familiar with it, just from the Internet Association, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Um, but watching the trailer, it's like, oh, yeah, I I may have probably seen it when I was a kid or something. But yeah. uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I would watch that. That looks ridiculous. Mm. Great. Yeah. But bad. <laughs> 
Mostly because the, the trailer was just really hamming it up. It's like, you get everything. It's a rock opera. You get Grease. And you get... And it's, just, it's just going all in on it. Yeah. And I'm watching yeah. it going like, it just feels like Rocky Horror Picture Show, but the Phantom. The Phantom. Which, yeah, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, that, yeah. It can be here for that. This looks mm. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, these are fun. They're fun. Mm. They're fun movies. It's a fun template to see what mm. people do with it. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's it's a cultural icon of a story. Yeah. So it's always interesting to see which bits are touched and which bits are not in each adaptation because everyone does it just that little bit differently. Whether it's you know including more overtly supernatural stuff or adding in an extra lead man, things like that. Like there's there's always some interesting take on it yeah and it, you can kind of see where like maybe the sympathies of the writers lie like mm. if the, I, I want to cast raul's character or richard or you mm. know in this adaptation like i want yeah. to put them in a better more favorable light like they're sometimes mm. raul's not sympathetic and yes. just like, ah, he's yeah. just really after Christine for his own end. Yeah. Whereas in this one, I actually was like, oh, no, d- d- this guy, he's fine. He's not being weirdly possessive. Mm. Um, He just gets a raw deal and gets yeah. stabbed and burned. Okay, didn't he didn't yeah. make it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for being the dude that, like, owns the company and, like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't mm. be trying to marry the up and coming the employees employee yeah that's a weird <laughs> um but i i liked his take on the raul mm. um that was fun yeah i wish there was more i wish the movie did more with him and i wish there was more with davies i it's, mm. it's real weird to give someone such an iconic like design a fun mm. character look, and then you just don't do anything with it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, what? Well, I wanted to well, tell me, show me Davy's story. I want to know more about that. Mm. It's like don't don't make your side characters too interesting because if they're not given enough screen time or too much screen time but no development, then you're mm. left to go in like, well, why weren't they just the main character? <laughs> like they didn't spend enough time mm. with them yeah or as if it's just a one-off and they just like oh that's just a, just a quirky character in the background that now people can write fan fiction about or something mm. yeah yeah that, that could just be me i <laughs> just well, fair, fair. really keyed in on this one dude because his, his hair was just like what is going on he has a distinctive <laughs> facial scar but it's in mm. his hairline and it's it's not it's makeup like you can tell it's not yes. like yeah a, a quirk of the actor mm-hmm. so yeah well it was really very um surprising and wonderful really to just see um both for one robert england without makeup because that's rare except in like mm. the v series he's yeah doesn't he doesn't often at the time wasn't known for his just his face um, and then just seeing uh, Bill Nye, like, oh, yeah, he's a good looking dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but yeah i think that that's i think that'll wrap us up for this episode we will Mm -hmm. be back in the future with more phantom um i don't know what else is on the immediate pipeline we've got Mm. stuff kind of going on so we'll we'll see what we will come (laughs) up with um and i it might just be a surprise we may not have a way to let you know um yep. twitter's uh, going haywire going so through some changes well we'll figure something else out um yep. the the link to the discord will probably be back in the show notes again uh, mm-hmm. and we'll try to keep the community running that way for anyone that wants to pop in uh as if you would like to pop on as a guest as listeners let mm. let us know well yeah the contact info is always in the show notes and yep. uh, we can schedule something but exactly. um yeah so we'll do the admin wrap up uh cameron mm-hmm. where can folks find you on the interwebs <laughs> that's temporarily uh, for now and then yeah i don't know yeah um so you can find me on twitter while it exists at night underscore twitten that's night without a k uh you can find me on tumblr at swarby dash blogs um <laughs> I've just recently reacted that reactivated that after about five six years. Man, that's a weird experience. I may or may not be very active there. Um, you can find me on cohost.org uh, under Swarby Eight D because that's where all the cool kids seem like they might be going. Uh, again, who knows how how active I'll be on that? It mostly depends on whether or not Twitter burns to the ground over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um. Where can we find you, Dave? Yeah, uh, on Twitter as usual for now at Sentinel mm. underscore plus. Um, also on co-host, uh, I think I just mm. put it Sen plus, which is okay. fair again. You can find me in place. I think you mm. can just Google that and it's probably yeah. me. Um, yeah, fair. You can shoot me a message if it's messageable in wherever you may find that and I'll mm. let you know if it's me. You just bring up the podcast, yeah. and if I say something weird, it's probably not me. <laughs> or if I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. And Leonard, you can find on, again, at Dr. Faust is Dead. You just search that. You'll find him. Uh, yeah. YouTube, he's doing more yeah. stuff. So he is. more he's things coming down the pipeline. Um, they look <laughs> fun and SCP slash that style yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's good yeah 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 so we'll uh talk to you next time when you hear from us on the flip side (laughs) (laughs) all right well good night and goodbye uh, our angels of music um sing for me (laughs) see you everyone (laughs) bye bye folks Monster Dear Monster is brought to you by Fireheart Media. If you enjoyed the show, please share this and all of our episodes with friends. And remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Word of mouth is the only way we grow. If you like, you can also kick us a few bucks to help us keep the lights on at ko-fi.com slash fireheartmedia. Check out our other show, Jalachan's Place, at www.jalachan.place.